Welcome back to NGF News, everybody. We have uh, another latest Global Developments episode, but before we get started, just make sure to follow us on all of our social medias, TikTok um, and Twitter, our Instagram, our NGF.news, and then Instagram is NGF underscore news. So we got two really interesting um, topics today. The first one is recent instability in Israel, and then the second one we'll get to is China spending $240 billion bailing out 22 countries on their Belt and Road Initiative. Yeah, so starting with uh, the instability in Israel, protests in Israel are making headlines across the world. So what what is going on right now in Israel? Um, the far-right government plans to uh, make a simple majority of 61 in the 122-seat uh, parliament uh, to override any Supreme Court rulings to allow politicians to appoint judges justices basically and also use that power to override the whatever the Supreme Court puts out yeah so interesting um because comes directly after he has been um basically charged with treason and or was it Corruption, Corruption treason. treason, whatever, whatever you want to put a lot of things. A lot of things, and so he wants to put put oh, judicial reform. Even it gets there. better. Rivalry, fraud, <laughs> breach of trust. I mean, it doesn't surprise me that that happened in Israel, considering what's going on between them and Iran, and then Palestine. I mean, it's it's not a. We were talking about a couple of weeks ago how Mexico is turning into a military state. Israel is a military state, in my personal opinion. Mm. People may not like me for that, but I don't care. I think it is true. So, yeah, there, there's there been protests basically happening since February every single week um, protesting this judicial reform. That, um, I'm going to butcher his name, but Benjamin Netanyahu. Netanyahu? Not yeah, close enough. Whatever his name is. Um, pushing this judicial reform through, basically bypassing the National Assemblies or trying to create a majority in their parliament and also trying to reform and take and add on judges. So protests have been going on for since February, March, um, blocking highways, clashing with um, anti-protesters, clashing with police, blocking roads. Lots of lots of action and, on the streets right now, yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of funny, the timing of it. It, because he's he has an ongoing trial right now for corruption, and he goes, "Well, we're going to reform the judicial system." Right as there's a ongoing trial, I mean, it's just it's just amazing the 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 timing. Um, but it's not the actual prime minister that is kind of um taking charge of the change, uh, the change to the Supreme Court. It's uh being done by two people, uh, two colleagues of his. It's I'm gonna butcher these. Yariv Levin and the religious. Uh, he is the uh, justice minister yep. and the religious Zionist um, Shmitsha Rothman. So they're acting like the proxy for essentially the prime minister to do this. Um, both of these men have had a long-standing uh, hatred of Israel's uh, Supreme Court system. Uh, they believe that it is too powerful and that it is biased um, against them. So they are essentially just are like, okay, well, we're going to train, try to change it. I mean, this is this is absolutely ridiculous. Um, I strongly believe in removing date from Supreme Court. I, I strongly believe that the Supreme Court, wherever you are around the world, needs to be in an independent kind of branch of, of government. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely agree. That's. Almost what the United States has. Almost, but you know, I mean, there's still a little bit of point judges for Democrats and Republicans. Um, but it's 
most of most of our judges throughout history, whether it's been majority Democrat, majority Republican, in the Supreme Court have been really unbiased and just upholding the Constitution and the law of the United States of America. Um, right now, I, I don't know much about like politics in Israel. I, I've been in my internship. I've been monitoring these incidents all the time and reading about it all the time. So I feel like I know a little bit more now, but not enough to understand how their system works and how their judicial system works. But there was recently they fired their defense minister um, of the country. I forgot his name off the top of my head. Let me try and find it here. But they fired him because he was against the um, – I don't even have his name here. That's interesting. Anyway, they, they fired him because he was against the justices thing. And he also – President Benjamin wants to – Create a new national, what was it? Create a national guard or something like that? Or Oh, I think I, I, think I read something about that, but I kind of skimmed over that because I... Hold on. It's somewhere here. They want to make a national guard stronger, is what they're trying yeah. to say. Like, state, instead of, like, individual provinces ran by the guard, like, it's going to be state. Just one. Yeah, like one a state. national guard. So that gives, yeah. basically, the president the power to say, oh, there's a problem there. Send the national guard. Oh yeah, there it is. Yeah, charge of uh, has agreed to put his national security minister in charge of a new sort of national guard. Yeah, so it is exactly what you're yeah. saying. And um, but this is just like the defense minister was against it. Yep. So he got fired. <laughs> um, for I mean, obviously he was going to get fired. That was not surprising. So, um, those are just kind of the general things that have been going on within the country. There's way more, obviously. Um, I'm sure you guys are all up to date on the issues in Palestine and everything, the Gaza Strip, yada, yada, yada. That already has created so much tensions and political violence, violence in general. What does this mean for the United States? Because we, we are an ally. We technically, they're a representative of us in the Middle East. Yeah. Um, I was actually just reading about this. Um, Joe Biden has said that he will make a decision. Uh, he's He's going to address the Prime Minister's decision later this upcoming Monday. So we are going to see a United States response. But my guess um, to what the United States might say is they're simply going to say, just cut it out, like reverse everything that you're doing, because this is against what the United States believes in. Yeah. Uh, they're acting on their own own accord here. This is not something that they were influenced. This is complete government control with the formation of the this new National Guard, reforming the, the judicial system. I, I simply think the United States is going to be like, listen, you need to cut this out or we're going to, I don't know, stop giving you military aid, yeah. something like that. So I think there's going to be some strong words, especially from Joe Biden. Um, so yeah, that's, that's so. what I think. I hope there are some strong words. and I hope there's a good conversation because this is actually ridiculous. Yeah. Like, Israel has always been the United States problem child. <laughs> yeah. Ally. Um, they create so much fuss. You can argue that, yeah, okay, in 1988, Iran started the war with Israel. Right. But you can also argue that they kind of stopped it, and that Israel is just still going. They're still pushing. They're still making, trying to take out their nuclear facilities and arming rebel groups that in Yemen and other in Syria to go against Iran, which is just pissing them off. And my biggest thing, our most recent episode that is going up as we're discussing this right now, the um, growing influence of the Middle East. Oh, as 
Oh, yeah, that episode yeah. just came out yeah. at the time of this recording. Yeah, it's just time. <laughs> they're fixing, for lack of a better term, they're fixing their shit over there. Yeah. Like, they're getting their stuff They're, they're modernizing. Yeah. They're modernizing. And Israel, in my opinion, kind of sees this as like a, a threat because they don't want they don't want a modernized in the least they want to be so, sort of the modern ones they want to lead they want to lead exactly but there's going to be a time where israel is just to say like listen we have to coexist and we have to figure something out because they're growing stronger they have money they have power they have influence around the world absolutely and they can't just be doing th these types of things within so they can't lose their trust outside because they're already losing trust on the inside so th this is this is just ridiculous it's in channels and and you know we're not saying here that like middle eastern countries aren't near like totalitarian or like dictatorship or communist governments which are definitely not communist but saudi arabia is fairly totalitarian state they have right. a lot of power it's a centralized government you know qatar centralized government um uae is probably the most i'm gonna put in quotes liberal um state within yeah the Middle East, but you know, they're, they're I mean they're out. but as they're modernizing, right? They're also going away from this like type of totalitarian not totalitarian, what was that word you used? Um centralized. Centralized type government. Yeah. While we see Israel here doing the exact opposite. They're they're, they're centralizing their government. They're, this is totalitarianism in my in my opinion. Yeah. This is full totalitarianism, so <laughs> it's turning into a military state. I mean, you—it's—it's it's very sad when you see on the streets almost every day near the Gaza Strip, soldiers. Every day, I mean, you can't—you you can't help but feel for Palestine because, you know, okay, yes, does Palestine want Jerusalem as their own? Yes. Does Israel want it as their own? Yes. But I think a lot, big majority in Palestine. And I could be wrong on this, but from what I researched on, a big majority of Palestine really just wants to be left alone. Yep, that is you know? that is true. So Israel's holding on to something. I don't know what it is. I don't know what's over there. Um, that's something you guys could do more research on. What they're trying to hold on to, I, I have no idea. But this, this, their their society, their country, their politics is getting a lot more. Um, Rough around, rough the around the edges, increasing <laughs> in violence, and it's going to further instability in the Middle East. Yep, absolutely. And I always think, like, what what is going to go on now? Will the people be empowered enough to essentially maybe overthrow what's going on? I mean, overthrow millions, the millions are coming on every day. Yeah, they're still going on. Probably, I'm I'm sure. If you probably turn on your channels and see a protest going on oh yeah or i the most like out likely outcome is they're probably just going to automatically back off because the tensions between the protesters and the government it's almost like civil war type level of uh tensions and i believe the prime minister came out and said we cannot risk uh that he said the reform is necessary oh no sorry the mayor of jerusalem said that um he could stop and recalculate but also the reform but not at the cost of the civil war. Yeah. So they still want to go ahead with this, but they all they also want to dial it down, which doesn't make any sense because if you're going to make such extreme changes, how can you dial dial this down? How can you essentially diminutize, like make it small the problem? You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, that, it's, it's ridiculous. 
mean, yeah, it's it's almost impossible without making drastic changes to the policy itself. It, it's funny because when I was doing research for this topic, um, yesterday, the day before, on Monday, the prime minister came out and said they're going to pause the legislation from coming through. So obviously, that's in direct. I th I think that they're going to pause it until the United States comes in there on Monday when Joe Biden and the Prime Minister of Israel have their have their conversation and they're going to see uh what they're going to do but yeah yeah i mean instability in this country is probably of all countries in the world one of the worst to have it considering they are a nuclear state also considering they have a very strong military considering what's going on in Palestine and their neighbors, you know, Iraq and Iran, they're going to see this um, as an opportunity to spread their influence. Interesting. So I was just thinking about that too in my yeah. mind. I'm like, what, what, what if these Arab countries, especially Iran because of the shadow war going on between Israel and Iran, take this time to fuel the protest movement. Oh, what if, what if, what if they're just like, all right, listen, they're, they're going to collapse on the inside. This is our time to just get in there and, uh, Proxy, proxy our way in and cause as much damage as we can to the government. Yeah, I, I this is can guarantee there. This is a major security security um type issue as well. So yeah, and you know, Iran is obviously all not focused on Israel because of what's been going on with trying to make friends in the Middle East uh, with Saudi Arabia and China, kind of kind of stepping into Iran and telling them like. You guys got to figure it out too. Like, yeah. if you want to be an ally, you can't. You can't cause problems. So, the Israel, the United States needs to do the same thing to Israel. And I honestly, I think the EU needs to come in too. Some EU leaders, the United Kingdom, need to come in and. Just they were the talk. UK was going to have a meeting with Israel, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Well, I, I hope they do, and that's one of their biggest allies. Yeah, well. and yep. Yeah, so yeah, that's correct. So the UK was the the Prime Minister of the UK did have a. Um, trip plan to go to Israel, but that got halted because of what was going on there right now. But yeah, I I believe I th I believe you are correct in having the EU there as well, and a lot of Western powers to try to stop what's going on in Israel. Yeah. I, I think having just the United States there, although it's a good idea, but we need more we need more allies in the conversation. Yeah, because this is. The, the, he has a lot of scandals under his under his name that he has to clear up, and the world is going to question whether or not he is going to be a fit leader for Israel. Yeah. I mean, we I'm sure leaders around the world are already questioning his authority and his power, and oh, yeah. if he's actually a fit leader, his people are definitely are. Um, but yeah, yeah, it, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens post Joe Biden's talk. Um, to give again to give credit to Joe Biden whenever he's met with a world leader. Um, progress has been made in terms of whatever they were doing, whether it was not going to have a trade deal or trying to de-escalate the situation. Hopefully he can do the same thing. Um, he, um, whether you agree with it or not, has built a very good national security team as well as um, ambassadors, in my personal opinion. So he he's trying to put the United States back on the world stage to because what Trump kind of did was not turn their back, but he wanted to renegotiate deals with countries. And then people thought that he turned his back on them. So Biden's trying to reverse that. Right. So maybe he could do something with 
think I think I think he will be successful. I think Biden can figure something out. Yeah, yeah. especially because they're very allies, and whatever falls on Israel will eventually fall on the U.S.'s uh U.S.'s desk as well. Oh but, yeah, but that that's probably one of his big things. Like, he, if there's some, if something hits my desk, I'm gonna. I have to, Yeah, <laughs> he already, he he has to take care of all right, what's going on in uh, Russia, Ukraine. He cannot afford to handle another conflict as well. Yeah, so. we also have to worry about Taiwan. You and know, Taiwan China as well too. So, I mean, we're United States is and their our allies are being spread pretty thin at the moment. Considering the, as well, the last they, thing they need is to put U.S. forces in there involved to try to contain the mess, especially. If Iran tries to do something proxy wise as well, yeah, that, because that, Europe's not going to get involved. No, Europe doesn't they want to. Part of it. Yeah, they're like we already have enough going on. Yeah. here regionally, we're not we're not going to do this. But um, other than that, I don't have much else to say on yeah. um, the Israel issue. Well, if no, you have anything else? Not much. That's an interesting one to to keep up. That's going to yeah. Let's see what let's see days. what's going let's see what's going to happen on Monday. Yeah, so interesting. Here's a good one. China spent $240 billion bailing out 22 countries. So this $240 billion has been spent between 2008 and 2021. Basically, these countries could not pay back their loans. They defaulted on their debt. China has had to help them. Between 2016 and 2028, 80% of that money was gone to the in that time period. And the countries are mostly middle-income countries like Argentina, Mongolia, and Pakistan. I think you meant to say 2021. Bailing out. Yeah, you, said, you said 2028. <laughs> 2021. Yeah. My bad. Um, but they've been mostly bailing out Argentina, Mongolia, Pakistan. They've got the biggest share of oh, that, that, that debt. Yeah. So um, the reason being is because the infrastructure that they're building in these countries, uh, I think 22 countries. Um, that they were trying to bail out, if I'm not mistaken. Um, they have lent out all this money, but they didn't get what they expected back. Meaning, like, their infrastructure that they're paying is not giving them a return on investment. And they have slowed down their lending in 2016 because of this. And another problem that China has to deal with is the rising interest rates and the strong appreciation of the dollar. Um, so this is really kind of backfiring on China, um, all of this. So, uh, another thing I saw here is, oh yeah, now I think the IMF is also stepping in as well to try to help bail out these countries, which I, I, I understand fully, but it's essentially giving money to China and that's what they want. I understand there's probably like no other solution here right now, but to give China their money back. Um, what the IMF is doing is they're paying off this money, which is uh, China's interest rates on these loans are 5%, while the IMF's interest rates for is 2%. So I think they're just doing like, um, it's almost like a remortgage. Yeah, you can't default on the IMF yeah. anyway, because, you know. They're the IMF. Yeah, they're the IMF. <laughs> um, but it, it's almost like the entire Belt and Road Initiative has taken such a big, like, hit. Because of what's what has going on between 2022 and 2023 with inflation rising, poor supply chain, um, and all the other terrible things that um, economically that occurred. So yeah. it's almost like are are the brakes going to be put on the Belt and Roads Initiative? Are they going to put the pause on it for now and wait until everything clears up, or are they just going to continue steaming through yeah. and risk the collapse of their own banks back in China? Yeah, the the People's Bank 
um, of China accounts for 170 billion of the financing, uh, which includes Suriname, Sri Lanka, and Egypt. Uh, Chinese state-owned banks account for 70 billion. Um, Argentina received 111 billion dollars. <laughs> so, nice. Pakistan received 48.5 billion, which is still significant. And Egypt received 15.6 billion. Nine other countries received less than one, which include countries like Zambia and Angola. Um, the smaller countries that didn't take as much lending. Here's an interesting thing about China. For a long time, and under the Trump administration, and a lot of, even, even the Biden administration, we started to believe a few things about China. Under the, the Trump administration, we believed that they started to take advantage of everyone. Fact. Under the Joe Biden administration, uh, we started to, to think that we they were indestructible and that we should try to work with them. That was the Biden policy. The Biden policy was to, okay, we're going we're gonna to take the lead, but we're also going to work with them. With China, and they try to have a little bit of a hard, a hard ball with them. What we've come to learn now is China has overextended itself far, far, far worse than we thought. I mean, two hundred forty billion is not a small figure. Twenty-two countries is not a small figure either. So they're really and the fact that they were hiding this too until this report came out just yeah. no just shows you like this has been. A problem since the OA financial crisis. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, 2008 is yeah. where this whole thing started. And so the Belt, the Belt and Road was, it was formally called the Belt and Road Initiative under Xi Jinping, I believe in 2015, if I'm not mistaken. It was during Xi Jinping, so it was post-2013 is when they started calling it the Belt and Road. Before that, they started all this funding and loaning in 2002. I don't remember the president at the time. But they started in 2002. So the fact is, China, we can, we can look at this. China is overextended itself. They're becoming this very large power and have lots of money, but they're overextending. And the United States, you could argue, is overextended in itself. But one thing we have over them is... Well, we have seven trillion more dollars than them in GDP every year. So, right. I think this is post Russia Ukraine. I personally love the Belt and Road Initiative. I just don't like. It's China a good leading. idea. Yeah, I don't but like China leading. The way that China is doing the Belt and Road Initiative is the problem. Um, their loans are through the roof. If you look at, um, let's say, even I mean, U.S. Treasury loans are also expensive too. For uh, rescue loans, they're above four percent. Eurozone loans, rescue loans are just sitting over 3%, and IMF loans, like I said before, sitting over 2%. Yeah. So, but my thing is, what if the US, like you said, post Russia Ukraine war, what if they just decide to take it, take it against China and say, like, okay, we have a bunch of these countries in distress? How about we do something about it? Because interest rates. Uh, interest rates are rising, but inflation is dropping. So, there's going to be a point in time by maybe 2023. The end of this year to the end, maybe of 2024, where interest rates start to drop. Yeah. What if this problem continues with China and they're still paying and they're still giving out uh, rescue loans? The U.S. just steps in and provides their own rescue loans with a promise of we will build better infrastructure. And this is how we will pay out. We will pay you guys out 
And with this infrastructure that we build, we promise that we will get our return on investment, yep. meaning like we will have a good deal between that country and our country. Yes. If that makes sense. I I'm agree. Saying. No, I agree. That's one of the smartest things the United States can do right now. So, it, I mean, if you notice the report and it's in 2021, so we're not accounting for 2022. Right. Exactly. What's going on right now. Right. So this $240 billion bailout I believe could double. Might have skyrocketed. Once we see, once we see the uh, reports come later on um, in this. I do have actually a figure on 2022. So yeah. in 2010, 5% of China's overseas lending was debt distress. Now in 2022, 60%. They're at 60% of their overseas lending is for debt distress. So yeah. that, that's, that's your figure that you're looking for for last year. Your turn. China is... A lot of people against them because they realize that they're not getting what they paid for. Can't pay it back. Infrastructure also is terrible, terrible. too. It crumbles. It literally crumbles. If you look into Africa and the Chinese infrastructure they build, they have to re keep rebuilding because of how cheaply they do the work. Yes, yeah. and how underpaid those people are doing that type of work. So they have no incentive to do the job right. China is not really getting a return on investment. So it's like we're propping up this infrastructure. But it's just kind of like there. Like, I I built this tower. Yeah. Well, this tower does literally nothing except look good. Yeah, Zambia's railroad system that they created through multiple countries. Um, I think Zimbabwe and a couple others. Uh, has to be basically monitored every day for maintenance. Right. It's awful. Angola got oil factories built by China. I did, I did a study on this last uh, last year. And they malfunction every day trying to extract oil, right? Because they're just not built. And so, for the United States, when you're you, when you're Japan, and you're Korea, I maybe not Korea, but Japan, I would get together, band together, and say, "Hey, we can help bail out these countries." And even if Japan doesn't want to, I highly doubt they will. I'm just you know extend the offer, but. Germany, France, the United Kingdom should definitely Looking be the leaders of this. Could push the EU. Be like, we can look, China, you're only backed by China right now. We can bail you out with the backing of the United States, Canada, the United Kingdom, Germany, and France. I mean, you look at the GDPs of all those countries, it first off, the United States already. Just, yeah, all, water, exactly. But the rest of it combined. Really, I think that's a fantastic plan because it almost serves like an insurance policy. Yeah. So if one country does terribly, right, and uh, some God forbid something happens economically in that country, now you have all these other countries to to help you out as well. So yeah. there, uh, an insurance policy just like that is kind of needed as well, and I do like that idea. Um, I would I would say that even Japan might be involved in this because strategically, you. It, yeah, graphically wise and economically wise, it, it would put the hurt on China if all these countries just decided to say, you know what, I'm do I'm done with you. Now, now you have all these countries that are surrounding China economically, essentially, and they're getting access to all these resources in these countries as well. We're going to pay you off in return. We get lithium and neobidium. I think it what it's called. Whatever, yeah, yeah, Whatever for their green energy projects. Yeah, paying off the Chinese loans. It's a win-win, and I they they really need to look into this post uh, post Russia Ukraine yeah. war. I think biggest policy should be from G twenty countries post this war. 
is how do we advance developing countries? Because we are a developed nation, and so is most of the Western countries in Europe. If we if we can figure out first off how to fix our own problems first, and then create a strategic plan where not all the burden is put on one country to help fix these and develop these other countries. It could be, first off, a great investment. I mean, we need cobalt. We need lithium. We need, what was the other one you said? Started there? Neobidium. 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 Oil. Something like that. Oil. Africa has huge oil. Diamonds. That is trillions of dollars. And good. So we could get in and out too. Yeah. To help out because they have very good balance sheets. They've got money to help lend out. And so essentially what you're saying is there, there's going to be a global response. There has to be a global response. There has to be. That's my opinion. But the, the only time the world comes together is if a major crisis happens. Yep. So unfortunately. The, un, unfortunately, right. For these 22 developing countries, they all have to be on the brink of like failure. For the, for the international community to step in and say, listen, I mean, the international community technically is because of the IMF. The IMF yeah. technically represents the world. but we need, like you said, more direct involvement. We cannot have these 22 developing countries just fail all of a sudden because of poor bank management in, in China. We need workers on the grounds. Post-World War II, the United States military built up Eastern Europe and Western Europe. Today, we are still doing that. There are still military bases in Eastern and Western Europe that help with local infrastructure. Why can't we do the same? This time, you know, Germany's built up, France is built up, the United Kingdom is built up, Japan is built up. Send over some people. How about build up Africa? Middle East can do the same. Yo, Qatar, Saudi Arabia can help they do the same things. It can, if we all work together, Latin America and Africa, one of the last countries to, last continents to have developing countries can succeed. But we need everybody on board mm -hmm. that's the biggest issue absolutely so and i also question whether or not the imf can actually handle all this because now they're going to be under immense pressure from the chinese yeah the chinese are going to force them to like, bail out too yeah so i'm also worried about what the imf can do as well and i believe there'll be there'll be some point where the imf is like listen we're, we're going to need more support this is just too much for us to handle and yeah, yeah. that's that's my only concern for right now and also future concerns that you stated um are also what what I what I hope to see as well. Um yeah. but other than that, I don't have anything else. This is more like a monitor type situation because this is so new yeah. and the report just came out and just blew my mind. Like it was just so like out of the blue. And we never really got to see the status of the Belt and Road Initiative. We really because they hide it. And now that we're actually seeing what is going on? Yes, we, we've read like their infrastructure that they built is terrible. It crumbles. Not that good. But now actually seeing that these countries are not seeing the benefit of the Belt and Road Initiative is going to be a major wake-up call for the international community. And there, it, you have even partners of China that are looking to expand their economic horizons to, to countries like India, for example. But India is going to be like, well... You, you're terrible at this. Like this is such oh, yeah. a like. I, I hope this is also a wake up call for India as well too. Um, yeah. to try to avoid because they're on the they're kind of like on a on a fence on whether or not to 
work with the United States or work with India, uh, work with China. Yeah. So I hope, I hope this study can, can, uh, make that, make that decision for help India make that decision. To- yeah. It's, it's just another case in the past couple of years showing, um, how China is fracturing slowly, but they, they are there. They became this really big dominant powerhouse, but I, Xi Jinping is a very intelligent guy, but you know, the evidence is starting to come out now that he's he might not be really soon. greedy. Yep. And so I think they got too greedy too quick. Yep. They grew up, they built up fast economically. Yeah. They were, they were from 2012 up until 2015. They were a formidable economic concern. Yeah. And now it's just kind of like they're they're tailing off a little bit, and, and we were very worried. Their country, and, yeah, exactly. We were we were all worried that China might surpass the United States, but you know they they, they can't economically. They're not being they're they're terrible right now. They can't they can't um, in Taiwan. They're struggling as well with the situation as well. Yeah. They have immense pressure from the United States and allies. So, so I did a study in twenty twenty one. More like um, between people in our university, uh, how they would feel, really believe that China is going to become the biggest powerhouse in the world by 2024. And when I was doing research at my own, most people said that by 2024, China would have a GDP. And this was in 2020, so this is during COVID, in 2019, that they would have a GDP of 27 trillion. The United States would have a GDP of 25 trillion. Now, they were right about the United States. We have a GDP of 25 trillion. China, GDP of 17 trillion. I'll buy $10 trillion from whatever that study was in 19 or 2020. And so the estimates are just off. And there's, I see, many factors, COVID, yada, yada, yada. But the United States keeps growing. Slowly, but we keep growing. So I think we... I think overestimated China a little bit. And so now we're seeing those cracks and seeing the fragmentations, not just within Xi Jinping and China itself, but also within the people who are pissed off at Xi Jinping. So we'll see where that goes from here. Yep. Other than that, I think uh, we covered as much as we can about the situation. Keep keep up on that one. Um, There will definitely be more reports coming out since there are Oh yeah, now now people are interested. Now they're just going lots to lots of money. Yeah, that's. I, I think this is going to spark a new interest, and now countries that are, how do I say this? Like uh, against China, pretty much. Yeah, they're going to look into this, and they're going to see how they can exploit this. So hopefully, this this uh, this study amounts to new studies. But absolutely, yeah. Um, anyways, uh, hope you guys enjoyed that episode. You know, do your own research for both of these topics, and uh, yeah, have a good one.